0: going to continue our study on the same power,
1: the scripture in Philippians that we've been studying that just talks about Paul wanting to know Christ and wanting to have a deeper relationship with him. Now, when you look at your notes, you're going to look at them and you're going to wonder where they are. The more I thought about this week, really, we are looking at scripture tonight. And this is, in your notes, is the overview of the Scripture, and that's what we're going to talk about, is the overview of the Scripture. I wanted you to have the main points, but I didn't sit down and fill out this whole six-page thing for you to have individual notes. I left lots of room. If I say something that is impactful to you, please write it down. But I wanted us just to focus on the Scripture, and that's just what this whole, tonight, the whole message is, is the focus on the Scripture And what Paul is saying. So our focus in these weeks after Easter are on knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. That's Philippians 3.10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share in his sufferings and become like him unto death. Become like him in his death. You see, the key to what we're talking about is that I may know him. And Paul is telling us in this key verse that we're looking at is, is that he wanted to know him, the power of his resurrection, but also in his sufferings and in his death. And see, this really seems unattainable. Is how can I know Christ not only in his resurrection, but in his suffering and his death. But in Romans 8, Paul talks about the fact of that the Spirit of, of God is in us. And it says in Romans 8, verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So if you belong to Christ, I need you to hear tonight. You have the spirit of God in you. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, and that's an important part. Christ is in us, but my body is dead because of sin. We are sinful creatures, but God is in us. The spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So here we are after the crucifixion, after resurrection. I love what we've done up here and how we're, we're still leaving this up here. Because it's the same spirit, the same spirit that after they took Jesus from the cross, And they put him in the tomb. It's the same spirit that brought him out of that tomb that lives in each and every one of us. And that's what we have to remember. So we can know Christ in his resurrection. And we can know Christ in his suffering and in his death. You see, that's how Paul wanted to know Christ. Because when you know someone, you don't know just the good things about them. That's what they want you to know about them. But when you really know someone, you know everything about them. You know the good. You know the bad. You rejoice with them in the big parts of their lives and the celebrations. And you cry with them. And you hurt with them when they suffer. And that's what Paul is saying here is, I want to know Christ in every way possible. You see, to know Jesus is to know all of him. His suffering as well as his victory. And what I want to make sure we all understand tonight, this open tomb that is empty, and no matter how many times you walk into it, it's going to be empty. That that tomb is meaningless without the cross because there is no sacrifice. And that cross without an empty tomb is meaningless because there is no victory. This is a package. One without the other doesn't work and when Christ came to earth he fulfilled the scriptures. And because of that we can know him. So Paul is going to take us through just what it's like, what it is to be to live in this this new world this new spiritual walk that, we've, that we're in. And so what he's done over the last several weeks, we've talked about just the process of re-evaluation. And he talks about counting what was gain as loss. What I gain in life, and that's very important. I want you to remember that. What I gain in life is loss. Nothing that the world has given me or that have I, I have earned is worth anything. I want you to take your biggest accomplishment, that just that a thing that you feel marks your life. It's meaningless. When you bring it into your relationship with Christ. Also, I want you to realize the next part was counting what was lost as gain. To that deep depth, that loss that you experienced. As much as it hurts, it's nothing when you bring it into your relationship with Christ. And see, this is the path to deeply knowing Christ and his power. When I worked in television, there was a salesman. Me and him did not get along. We literally, when we walked down the hallways, I would walk on one side of the hallway, and he would get over to the far side, as far as he could away from me. Because, see, I was in accounting, and my job was to take money away from them when the clients didn't pay. And his job was to sell and sell and sell so he could make money. He was a great salesman. He was very good at the job. He was our biggest billing salesman. He was trusted with our biggest regional accounts, publics, large car dealerships, major ad agencies within the state of Florida, But see, a lot of that meant that he had to go to big parties and celebrations. He had to drink it up with the big boys. And he had to work on their level. And his focus was his job in being the best salesperson in the company. And that was what he saw as him. That's what defined him. He went away on a sales trip. Stayed at a family's house that he knew, and it was Wednesday night, and they went to church. And they said, we're sorry, you know, you're here, but we go to church on Wednesday nights. So you're welcome to stay here. Um, We'll catch up with you when you get back. He says, no, I'll go with you. Greg found Christ that night. And it changed everything. All of a sudden, those big clients and rewards meant nothing to him anymore. The big parties and the celebrations were not as rewarding when he went to them. You see, he found, he found that my computer locked up. He found that he was no longer defined by the amount of sales, but he was defined by his relationship with, with Jesus Christ. When he saw me coming down the hall, he talked to me now. He told me, he talked to me about Christ. We had talks about his Christian relationship and things that he could do to improve it. And see, he was willing to give up everything for Christ. So he went to management and he told them that he would no longer go to the parties. See, he risked what he used to define as himself, because of what Christ had done and changed in his life. You see, Christ, Greg, wanted to know Christ. And it, he, he knew the resurrection, but he was willing to take it to the point of sacrifice, if that's what it meant in his life. So Paul, as he moves ahead, he gives us sort of our response As a mature believer, what this looks like, what our path is. And so he's going to define what knowing Christ looks like. And that brings us to our scripture tonight. It's in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because... Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that Also to you only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Let's stand as we pray over the scripture. Heavenly father, I thank you for the word that you have for us tonight. I thank you for just the spirit of Paul and the way that you transformed his life and changed him. And took a man that was persecuting you and turned him in to one of your biggest advocates. A man that proclaimed the gospel even if it meant his death. That was willing to proclaim the gospel even if it meant suffering. And I just pray that we, we dig into what he's telling us tonight through your word. And that we just break down any barriers that are keeping us from hearing what you have for us. And let us hear the word that you have for each and every one of us tonight. In your name, amen. You may be seated. The section that we're getting ready to walk into in most commentaries is referred to as the caveat. And in Latin, that means let him beware. Be on guard. Something that serves to warn to explain or caution. So we've gone through this section where Paul is talking about just the things that I've gained, I, I count as lost. These things that I've lost, I count as gain, And he's just really just bringing up just his walk with Christ and how important that is to him. And now he sort of says, now I want to give you a warning. You need to hear this. He wants to make sure that they know how this works. So Paul transitions from the language of accounting, gain and loss. And I told Pastor Jeff, those are my words, accounting words. And I was sitting in the back, and I almost gave him a couple of real serious amens and hallelujahs. But now we're going to transition to the language of athletics. Because Paul wanted to make sure that that the Philippians understood the point that he was trying to make. See, he's concerned about the Philippians' progress in their faith and the fact that they may lose momentum. So he uses his own progress in, in his spiritual journey. And what he says is, this is now that, not, not that I have already obtained this. So the very first thing he starts out with to say, I've told you all these wonderful things. And he even had sections where he bragged about his spiritual upbringing, about the things he knew about Christ, about the things that he had done. And what he does now is he comes to us and he says, but before I start, I need to tell you, I have not obtained any of this. So don't get me wrong. I'm not coming up here telling you I am perfect. I have got this. So you need to look at me and do what I say. No, what he's saying is, is I... I'm just as broken as everyone else. I'm no different. So I'm going to start from a point of humility. He uses his own progress. He says, I am not per- perfect. The American theologian Richard Mueller says that just as a little child is a perfect human being. When we have children, when we're able to have children that come up on the stage, we all look at them and they just They're just precious. And they're just perfect human beings, but they're still far from perfect in their development as a man or a woman. So what is true of a, a child of God is also perfect in all parts, although not yet perfect in all the stages of our development in our faith. You see, we are, we are Christians, and we are perfect in the fact that we want to know Christ, but we are not Perfect in knowing Christ. We are not perfect in our walk. We are not blameless in things that we do. See, Paul was a spiritual giant in the eyes of the Philippians. They knew his story. They knew the backstory behind him. And he was their giant. And he was known for his laser focus on wanting to know Christ and for his ability to share the gospel without fear. And unashamedly. But yet he wanted them to know that he had yet not yet attained the knowledge described in verse 10. You see, he made sure they understood that we do not reach this resurrection until the end. Because see, there was a faction among them, in the believers, that believed that their baptism was an initiation into the state of perfection to which nothing needed to be added. And and so he wanted to make sure they knew that what we're striving for is not something that we will ever gain here on this earth. This journey that we're on doesn't end here. It ends when Christ calls us home. In 1 Corinthians 13, starting with verse 10, it says, But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child; I thought as a child; I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part; then I shall know I shall know fully, even as when I have been fully known. What he's telling us is, as we go through life, there's stages. There's stages as we go through life, but when I'm a child, I spake as a child. I thought like a child, but now as I get older and I see in the mirror dimly because I don't see as well as I used to see, I'm going to see Jesus face to face. And then I shall fully know. You see, Paul, he was not a pretender or opposer, poser. He wasn't trying to be something that he wasn't. He was try- not trying to tell them things that he didn't understand. He was absolutely honest about the nature of his journey. And as I said, he was their spiritual hero. And he even states, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. You see, Paul recognized that knowing, fully knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection requires both faith in the beginning and action all along the way. It's not something that you just say you're going to do and it just happens. It's something that you say you're going to do when you never stop doing it. You continue to do it. You see, the issue that Paul was addressing that is still going on today and will go on forever until Christ comes again is we need to understand that there's this tension. You see, as I I live as one who has died with Christ to sin, yet I'm a sinner. I have been reconciled to God as righteous, and I have been accepted by faith in Christ. Yet in reality, I'm unrighteous. And any claim that I make to righteousness, the Bible says, is nothing more than filthy rags. See, Isaiah 64, we all have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. That is not telling me that I have no hope. It is telling me that nothing I can do will ever justify me. That nothing that I obtain, nothing that I earn, no studying that I do will ever justify me. Because it can't. Because that's what justified me. Is Jesus dying on that cross. And he paid for Everything. So Paul is urging us to find that balance between living a life of defeat because we are so unworthy, or living a life that claims too much because we are depending on our good works. See what I did. See what I did today? See what I did for those people. The balance is that I am unworthy, but Christ has made me worthy. Therefore, nothing I can do will make me worthy, but my, love, but my love for him because of what he has done for me will give me an urgency to serve him in any way that I can. And Paul goes on to tell us that I press on. I just keep pushing. The Greek word here is dioko to pursue pursue diligently, to carry forward, to run swiftly in order to catch a person or thing, to run after, to press on. It's figuratively of one who is in a race run swiftly to reach the goal. That is what Paul is saying, I pursue. But there's one other piece of that definition that a lot of people miss. Because the other part of that definition means to pursue in a hostile manner. You see, I believe Paul specifically used this word, pressing on, because it's the same word he used in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, when he says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted or pursued the church of God. When you look at the word he's using that says, I pursue, I press on, I keep going. When you look at that word, what you find out is it's used 28 times in the Bible in this exact sense to talk about persecution to the church. It's used six times to refer to follow after, four times to follow, and three times to suffer Persecution. Paul was tying it all together. What he's saying is, as hard as I pursued the Christians to persecute them, I am pursuing Christ so that I can know him. How would it be in our own lives if we pursued Christ as hard as we pursued some things in life that we're pursuing? If we went after Christ as hard as we went after our goals that we've set up for ourselves. And that's what he's saying is, I... I'm putting all that behind me, and I'm going after Christ just as hard as I went after my earthly goals. And he tells us, I don't quit. In drawing this comparison, Paul was keying them in on the intensity that he was pursuing Christ. Because they knew that when he was Saul, he would not stop for anything in his persecution of the Christians. And what is the main reason he presses on? And I love this part of the scripture. He says, I press on because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I press on to know Christ because Christ has made me his own. Francesca Battistelli sings a song, he knows my name. In an interview, she said, my mom had the saying growing up. What you think of me is none of my business. You see, it's so hard to live like that because we want to know what they are going to call us. Do they think we're pretty smart, funny, and cool, and worth their time? And at the end of the day, none of that matters. The fact that the God of the universe, she said, who created every atom on this planet and every star in the sky, knows my name and calls me by name and even named me. There's such a power in knowing and understanding what that means. We all need to be reminded that this God who calls us forgiven, chosen, wanted, and loved, That's the inspiration behind her song, wanting to get that out there and remind people that the name that matters is the one that God gives us. Psalms 139, 13 through 14. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very. Psalms 139, 17 through 18, how precious to me are your thoughts. And when you look at the, just the interpretation of this, it's talking about, it's a friend conversation with God. It's not saying God's thoughts, it's talking about that God's plans for me. God's desires for me, his designs for me, oh God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I wake and I am still with you. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When God knows my name, it means that I matter to him. It means that he cares about me. It means that what I do and who I am is important to him in this vast and enormous universe filled with millions of people, I matter because he knows my name. And Paul was concerned that if they didn't catch the passion behind wanting to know Christ and knowing that Christ knows them, that they would slack off on their purpose and their desire to serve him. And that is still one of the biggest dangers of our time now. You see, we tend to slack off on our pursuit of Christ. Oh, we miss a Bible study, and we get busy, and don't really have time to go to a small group this week, and I have things to do on the weekend, and so I just won't go to church this weekend. And you see, the world throws a bunch of busy roadblocks our way.
0: And then when one day
1: we wake up and we realize that we haven't been to church Bible study or small group for several years. I visited a man in the hospital once. He had not attended church in a long time. And I got in there and I met him and I told him that we missed him at church. And he looked at me and he says, well, the reason I haven't, and he stopped. He goes, Paul, I really don't have a reason why I haven't. Just stopped coming. And I don't know why. I just got out of the habit. See, there was no big blow up, no argument with someone in the church, no theological difference with the church's teaching. He just got out of the habit. He stopped coming. Paul tells us, but I press on to make it my own because Christ made me his own. Because Jesus laid hold of Paul to make him a new man. Jesus laid hold of Paul to conform, conform him into the image of Jesus Christ. He laid hold of Paul to make him a witness. He laid hold of Paul to make him an instrument in the conversion of others. He laid hold of Paul to bring him into suffering. And he laid hold of Paul that so the apostle might obtain the resurrection from the dead. That's why Jesus grabs a hold of us. To transform us, to change us. To walk with us through the sufferings that we're going to go through. And to call us home when that time comes. And Paul goes on to say, I forget what lies behind. What's back there? I don't even know what's back there. Because I forget what lies behind. The Greek word for that. Is epi long thought, oh my. We had to have the, t- the, the big long words that I had to study for hours on. It means to lose out of mind by neglect. I just don't think about it anymore. I just don't care about it. I'm just going to neglect it. And that's what he's talking about. You see, we as humans, we don't forget things. We don't. I'm not going to ask you to tell me what it is, but by a raise of hand, who here has a past pain, a wrong done against them, failure, or hurt? Somebody's you figured my trick out here. We all do. But we need to leave it back there, not bring it up here. We need to leave it behind us. As humans, it's our nature to not forget things. I have a friend who tells me, that they have forgot something that happened in my relationship a long time ago. But every time something comes up, either with me or with someone else, it sort of refers back to that. They can quote it word for word. See, they haven't forgot. Because as humans, we don't. But we can choose. We can choose to neglect those thoughts. And I want to be clear, it's a choice. I struggle with this. When thoughts of my past pain, my wrong, my failures and hurt come up, they tend to get my attention. I remember the pain. I remember who said what, who did what, and whose fault it was because it wasn't mine. But see, when I'm having that pity party for myself, the enemy just, when he just loves to pour it in, And just remind me every little thing from the past. But we have to fight this. When these thoughts come up, we have to choose to stop thinking about it. We have to fail to properly care for these thoughts. When we do that, they start to go away. And after a while, we have to strain harder and harder to remember them. And we go, now what was that that happened? And what we have to say is is it doesn't really because that's behind. Igmar Bergman, a Swedish filmmaker, made a soul-searching. He made soul-searching films, and in one film called *The Serpent's Egg*, it was set in Berlin in 1923. He speaks of our need for a relationship with God because of our need for forgiveness. And in this film, a woman goes to church to seek relief from a pastor over the guilt that she feels from her husband's suicide. The priest kneels and prays with her, and this is what he prays. We live far away from God, so far away that no doubt he doesn't hear us when we pray to him for help. So we must help each other. We must give each other the forgiveness that a remote God denies us. I say to you, that you are forgiven for your husband's death. You are no longer to blame. I beg your forgiveness for my apathy and indifference. Do you forgive me? The priest says softly. And she says yes. I cringe when I hear the priest referring to God as someone that is so remote that he doesn't hear our prayers. That he denies us the forgiveness that we seek. And that we have to give it to each other In place of God. And however piercing the words that this priest uses, it's the candor of what he's saying. You see, if the God that we serve as we know him is not remote and he does not deny us the forgiveness that we desperately need, why do we refuse it? Or at least, why don't we appropriate it properly in our lives? We allow the past to always be with us, robbing us of the freedom that God has given us. We live a heavy-hearted life that presents us from using our spiritual energy and gifts to move into the joy and the future that God has for us. We have to choose to neglect the failures of the past, but also our achievements of the past. You see, Paul is telling us to neglect the care for everything in our past. Martin Luther, a 16th century theologian, whose beliefs helped birth the Reformation adverbs that the nature of the Christian life does not lie in what he has become, but in what he is becoming. I want to repeat that. The nature of a Christian's life does not lie in what he has become, but in what he is becoming. I press forward. We choose not to dwell on the pain or the offenses of the past because we can't change the past. We can only affect the future. I strain forward for what lies ahead. Epitiniumi, stretching oneself, reaching forth. We have to learn, we have to lean in to what's ahead. We can't focus on what is behind. A runner of a four-lap race doesn't receive a prize for the three laps that he ran well. They received the prize for excelling in all four laps. We have to stretch toward what is ahead of us. 1 Corinthians 9.24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Run your race to receive the prize We stretch to the future because the future requires us to stretch. What good is it if an Olympian runner is running a hundred millimeter run and at 50 meters they are in the lead and they stop and they turn around they look back and they go, I'm winning. Look how good I am. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter if they ran those 50 meters faster than any person had ever run them in the past because they, Just lost the race. We have to concentrate not on the 50 meters behind us. We have to concentrate on the 50 meters that are in front of us. We reach forward knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. We want to do well in the race. We don't want to give up. We want to cross the finish line proud of how we ran. We're going to run toward the goal toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus first Corinthians 7 starting with verse 17 it says only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him this is my rule in all the churches was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised let him not to let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was freed when he is called is a bond servant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become the bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, therefore let him remain with God. It's so stuck on goals. We're going toward the goal. And the scripture tells us it's not just any goal we're going after. The goal is not our job, not our desire for family or for fame or for fortune. It is not a goal that can be measured here on this earth. It's not a goal that I can dream up. It's not a goal that I make or one that I decide. The goal is the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Prizes are, giving, are not given out before the race starts
0: or during the race or when the
1: runners are still on the course. The goal or the prize is that call that happens at the end of the race when those who have won are called up to the stage to receive their prize. This is what's being talked about. It's not the goal that will ever be reached on the earth, but will be reached when God calls us upward to heaven and we receive the reward at the end of our lives. It's not an earthly goal. It's a goal that, it's not a goal that changes our situations here on earth. It's not a goal that changes our remaining years here on this earth. But it's one that changes our entire eternity. You see, sometimes we get so worried about whether our earthly goals are worthy or whether God sees us. During World War II, there was a critical need for a call on the increase in coal so they could have the energy um, that they could use to win the war. So Winston Churchill met before the labors of the Leader Union. He sat down with them. And what he told them was, is, this "Is just use your imagination with me right now. The war's over. We've won. And we're at this huge parade. And the army comes out. And the crowd cheers. And the air force comes out and they cheer. And the marines and the navy, every branch of the service comes out and the, the crowd is wild. And at the very back of the line, there are 10,000 men that are miners, that are sweat-soaked, that are covered in soot. And the, someone in the, in the crowd goes quiet. And someone says, what did they have to do with this?
0: And when the miners hear
1: this, they raise their voice in unison and says, we were in the depths of the earth with our faces against the coal." so that you would have the resources to win the war. Our goals don't have to be lofty. We all play a part. We don't need to look for goals that are so lofty that give us fame or fortune. We just need to know what it is that God wants us to do. Holding true to what we have attained is where Paul closes this out. Like those who are mature, think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. You see, Paul meant for this section to be a warning about the way that we think about our Christian journey. He's very clear what it should look like. And in the end, he says that if you are maturing in Christ, then you should think this way. And he goes on to say, and if anything you think otherwise, basically what he says, then we'll let God deal with you accordingly. Those who think differently, you see, do not seek to live a life of a cruciform life. That's a weird word. Cruciform life is a life. It's a way of being alive and doing life in the place God has planted you. It is not a program, it does not offer tips and techniques, it's not something you do only on Sundays. The cruciform life is a day-in, day-out lifestyle of gospel-driven love for God and others. The cruciform life in Jesus Christ expressing itself through the love for God and others. No matter where we are in our various spheres and influences, we live a life that shows That love is faith's expression. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcised nor uncircumcised counts for anything, but only faith working through love. We need to live a life that reflects the love that Christ showed on the cross. That love being the main focus of our life, flowing out of us as the Spirit leads us, grows us, and matures us. That is the lifestyle that Paul is talking about. The greatest risk in in our age in which we are living is that good old-fashioned backsliding. I grew up in the theology of backsliding, and what I believed was is that if I thought something or I said something or I did something that wasn't reflective of Christ, that I was out. He got that big eraser out, and he marked my name out. That's not what this is talking about. See, the backsliding we're talking about, good old-fashioned backsliding, just means that we relapse into our old ways of error. God doesn't blot us out, but we are not leading the life that Christ has assigned to us. It's very easy to slip backwards away from pursuing Christ and his power. See, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to focus on how hard it is. It's easy to let the world think, the world thinking to get in the way. We just have to hold fast in the passion and the desire to know Christ. Kristen's going to come and play now. This message tonight is a message of reflection. A message of what are my priorities? What is my focus? What is my goal? What is What is it that I have set before me? I want us to take a few minutes and I want us to reflect on that. What are we doing in our life? Father, as we just take a moment here, it's going to get quiet before you. I want us to look inward. That standard that Paul's putting before us—that we want to know Christ. I can probably answer for all of us that we want to know Christ in the resurrection, because that's the great part of knowing Christ. It's the moment He walks out of that grave. But do we want to know Christ in His sufferings and in His death? So I want to give up things from my walk with Him? So let's pray as we just we're just silent for the next few minutes. Just reflect upon that where you are. If you want to come down the altars, you're welcome to. Him. Let's just pray.
0: to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning
1: know Christ, this is all new to you, but you want to know him, just borrow my words. Father, forgive me. Father, I know you're not too far away to hear me. I know that you can forgive me. I just pray that, I just ask for forgiveness. sins as you forgive me for my inattentiveness to you at the times that you've called me let's pray that you may just have this burning desire, this overwhelming desire to know Christ, to know Him in every way. If that is the focus of our life, is to know you stand as we leave father as we leave this place this weekend I pray that we work as hard as we can to know you and I pray that those things that tap us on the shoulder from our past that constantly remind us of our failures give us the strength to not even turn around when they tap us on the shoulder, that we're laser-focused on what's ahead, and what's happened in the past makes no difference.